to see you tonight, and uh, good to see everyone come out on our first Wednesday evening uh, for the year. Looking forward to the rest of it. Let's turn our Bibles to Psalm 25, and we'll pick it up from a little bit of where we left off from last year regarding just the fear of God, and just, again, just studying through the different times that that, that term is mentioned in the Bible or, or terms like it, and we've already looked at different, different facets of that. And let's begin reading there in Psalm 25, verse 12. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn thee unto me, and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged, O bring thou me out of my distresses. Look upon mine affliction and my pain, and forgive all my sins. Consider mine enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. O keep my soul, and deliver me, let me not ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the opportunity that we have to gather tonight. And thankful, dear Lord, that we have your word to instruct us. And Lord, to Lord, just, uh, just also just uncover, Lord, just how we ought to, uh, ought to view life. And even at times, Lord God, how we ought to uh, approach life. And we're thankful, dear Lord, that your word is, is perfect. And Lord, we can... Trust upon it even tonight. Thankful for everyone here, Lord, who has made the effort, dear Lord, to come and, and be part of our, our evening in, in prayer to you. Pray that you just would uh, please meet with us this evening and uh, guide us through your scriptures even tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, you probably won't be long in your Christian life before you recognize that, um, that in fearing God, there's, there's going to be times where you that you go through that you may not even understand. And in our reading this, uh, this evening, the question is posed, what is he that feareth the Lord? And the response in the same verse is that someone who fears God is someone that God will teach in a way of God's choosing. You know, I think we all understand that God can, can instruct us in many things. I think we understand that as we go through life, there's just a myriad of things that God can use to teach us. But the one that fears God, it's God that chooses how he is taught. And, and he, we read that there in verse 12, What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. It's God's choosing that the way we are going to be taught. And if you were listening to the rest of the, the, the reading tonight, sometimes... Sometimes God will choose uh, to teach us through difficulties. You know, at times we can recognize in, in different moments of our lives that God's trying to teach us something, and we ought to. We ought to recognize that. There ought to be a, a recognition in our lives that, that you know, God is in the, in the business of just teaching us certain things. And yet, it's in those times where we go through trouble and in those times where we're going through a little bit of affliction in our lives that we start to sort of question whether God's actually in there or just trying to put us through something. 
You know, um, we can sometimes feel like we know what, how we best learn. And sometimes we can even tell God that, no, this isn't the way I want to learn. I want to learn a different way. And, and yet that's, the, that's a man that fears God. It's, it's, God chooses for him how he will be taught. But then paired with that in the next verse, notice there he says, His soul shall dwell at ease. And this is the, what I want to bring to you tonight as we think about fearing God, is that actually as we go along and, and God puts us through different situations in our lives, as God allows some things to just, uh, uh, some things to, to come into our lives to teach us, to direct us, to mold us, to refine us, part of that in the process as we fear Him, having a right view of God, is that He will give us some ease. And what that is, it's peace. He's going to give us some comfort along the way. And, and God may choose to teach through trial. God may choose to teach through suffering. God may choose to teach through failure and brokenness. And, and we have to admit, because we are fairly stubborn often, that, that often these are the best means that He teaches us with. And, you know, success and earthly wisdom and intellect, riches, all of that can spoil us. Yes, yet it's in the times of being in the furnace of affliction that we often are, are the best learners. But along with that and along through, through all of that, we also understand that as we, as we fear God, there's going to be a peace that's granted with it. Within this, there's also peace granted to those that truly fear God. And the, the very, very next verse says that his soul shall dwell at ease and his seed shall inherit the fruit. There's a peace granted and a fruitfulness that continues in those that fear God. And what's more, those that fear God are given the secrets of the Lord. Notice as we continue reading, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him and he will show them his covenant. You see, when we fear God, the secrets of the Lord is revealed. When we see in a more vivid way how His covenants operate and how those things that are sometimes when you, uh, when you read through and you're, you're just having a cursory reading of things, we don't completely understand. But when we fix our eyes on who God truly is and we fear Him like we ought, then those secrets and those covenants, those things that are revealed in His Word um, are, are given to us. It's, it's un, uh, unwrapped and revealed to us. And fearing God comes with a peace of understanding and seeing what those that have no fear of God doesn't. And, and it's important that as we cultivate that in our lives, that we, we're seeing more and more in the Word of God that, that just instructs us. But I want you to note a couple of different situations here with Mary. Look at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And look at verses 46 down to verse 50. And this is really Mary who just had heard the news that she was going uh, to be with child. She asks the question there in verse 34, knowing that she's, uh, she's a virgin, then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? She didn't understand the situation she found herself in. She didn't understand how this could be. And so she, she was in a, really in an impossible situation in her life. And yet notice what, what she, she sings really in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul 
doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. And notice again in that, that verse, and his mercy is on them that fear him. She had a comfort. She had an understanding that as she was going through this impossible happening in her life, that actually fearing God granted her that peace and comfort. And she had a greater perspective. You know, I think sometimes we go through situations that just seem to impo- so impossible to navigate. We go through it and we, f- we figure every which way we go, it just seems like there's some uh, detrimental things that could happen. We go down a path and we figure out that maybe going down this path may not be the best way. And we're constantly trying to navigate. And sometimes there's, there's the sense of an impossibility here. But you know, someone who fears God is given mercy, comfort, and grace during those times. Someone who fears God has a greater understanding of things. And, and Mary, in singing this song of praise, even in the midst of her impossible happening, recognized the great mercy that actually God was giving her. And I think we're all amazed by the impossible. You know, this can at times turn into being overwhelmed by the impossible because that's often paired with this, the unexplainable. Can't explain things. And yet within that, if we fear God, if we have the right estimation of God in our lives, there's going to be a granted peace. And what Mary did, she rejoiced despite not understanding everything. You know, I think as human beings, we want to understand everything. You know, when, when something's before us, we want to know everything. We want to know every detail so that we can plan for it or we could sort of manage our way through it. But, you know, life's not like that, is it? It's far from it. Sometimes you, you go through life and you think you have somewhat figured it out, but then suddenly a new thing happens. And you've just, well, I don't know. And, and yet in those times, you know, if you have a fear of God, you're going to also have his peace with you. And Mary rejoiced despite not understanding everything. But what she did base her rejoicing on was those things that she did understand. There was something she didn't understand, but there were things that she, did, she, did, she had an understanding of. And what she did, she rejoiced because she understood that this was God's working in her life. In verse 34, she asked the question, we already read it, but how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? She had no understanding of it. Then, you know, the angel answers a little bit. And again, if you read through that, you really can't quite grasp everything there. And yet, she can still rejoice. In verse 46, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. There's a rejoicing in who God is. And despite the fact that she had no, not a complete understanding of her situation, of this impossible happening, Mary still rejoiced based on what she did understand. She understood something about God. She understood that He was the God of the impossible. She understood that He was a God worthy to be praised. She understood that His name needed to be magnified. And, and so she focused on those things that she did understand about God. And Mary, in all of this, she was regarded really in her lowliness. And really that's the key, isn't it? When Often when we go through impossible situations, uh, 
we can respond with our own understanding. We can respond in our own intellect and try to figure things out. But more often is the case, what God is actually trying to get us to is really a recognition of our inability. A recognition that we are limited. A recognition that actually the best position to be in is just to be lowly before God. And that's where she was. She says that later on as she continues the song here. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. Notice comparison there. She terms herself, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. That's servanthood. That's lowliness. But then her recognition of who God is, for he that is mighty hath done it. And, and so often, you know, in, in life, the tension between our lowliness and, and then our exaltation of God, it really is the difference between us navigating through life. When we're lowly, God then, he says that, he, you know, he, he resists the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And we ought to have a, a great lowliness before him. And, you know, what fearing God is, is, is really having a right estimation of him. And it always results in a better understanding of our own reality. But we see that in, in Mary's life, she's granted peace in the impossible happenings. But then notice here, and, and lastly this evening, look at Romans chapter 3. And we often use these verses regarding uh, salvation in the Romans road. We often go to verses like Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23. We, we read that and, and sometimes we're guilty of just sort of reading it without perhaps explaining the context. And the question's asked again in verse 1, what advantage then hath the Jew? So the discussion is going to be here about, you know, what's so great about the Jews? And then later on, there's going to be a comparison here about Jews and Gentiles. And, and the conclusion that the Word of God makes in verse 9, what then, are we better than they? No. In no wise... For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. That's the context of, of, of verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So he's saying there that actually uh, the, there is some advantages of being a Jew. They, they, from them came the oracles of God, all of that. But when it comes to it, Jew or Gentile, all are guilty. <laughs> all are under sin. And he starts this discussion about just unrighteousness. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. So he's speaking about those, really all of humanity that is, that is not righteous before God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And then notice that he begins to describe the unrighteous. Their throat is an open sepulchre, with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And then notice verse 17, and the way of peace have they not known. And notice this, there is no fear of God before their eyes. So you read that descriptor of, of the unrighteous. That is the product of unrighteousness. And that is a product of unrighteousness in our lives. And, and the summary of all of that is because it's because this, they had no fear of God. But notice there, the beginning, uh, the, the, the really leading up to that, that verse in verse 17, 
the way of peace have they not known. And so what it is, is fearing God, it grants peace in contrast to the ways of the unrighteous. You know, you can't, you can't help but, but when, when you study through that, that whole uh, thought of fearing God, often the case is that that results in righteousness in someone's life. Fearing God and understanding His holiness then produces in us an observation of our unholiness. And then we get right before Him. There's a righteousness there. And, and, and here what they're saying, the, the Bible's saying, the unrighteous evidently, they don't know the way of peace. The unrighteous uh, are characterized by a lack of peace and a lack of fear in God. And again, notice how those two things are, are linked. And, and what we know is this, we can only be righteous through Christ, right? We can't be righteous through our own means. We can't declare ourselves righteous. No, Christ declares us righteous. It's only through His righteousness that we have righteousness. And you know what another name for Christ is? He's the Prince of Peace. So righteousness in the first place brings us to peace. And we know that from a salvation point of view, what the, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.14, For He is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Whereas we were divided before from, from God because of our sin, He became our peace. He, he brought down where there was, there was enmity, He brought down a, a friendship and a relationship between us and God. In John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And when we fear God like we should, then there's a production of peace in our lives and a peace that He can give us. 2 Thessalonians 3.16, Now the Lord of peace Himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. There's a lot of people who have great trouble in their lives within themselves. There's a great tumult there that just happens and uh, the, 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 the different Perhaps situations of life have caused, caused different things in their hearts. And you know, sometimes we try to solve that by talking them through that. But you know, often is the case that the best thing to do is just point them to the Prince of Peace. To just re remind them if they're a Christian that they're actually they already have peace in Christ. And if they're not, to introduce them to the one who can give them peace. And, and what unrighteousness really comes from is when we have a deficient view of God. And we didn't take the time, we, we read it um, quite quickly there, but in, in chapter 3, Romans 3, in the verse, first few verses there, there's just this dialogue back and forth, and it's just a discussion of things about God. There seemed to be in, in, in Paul there, as he discusses this with the, the Roman church, that there's just all of these things that they had questions about. And, and what it was, he was trying to introduce them to, the, to God, but they had a deficient view of God. And unrighteousness comes when we have a deficient view of God. You know, when we have a deficient view of God's, God's righteousness and His expectation of righteousness in our lives, then we have, a, we have a, a tendency to just not care about sin in our lives. When we're deficient in our view of God and His justice, then we try to dull out our own. And we've got to be careful to, to have a, a right view of God that's fearing God. Because that's what it produces 
then a, a sufficient view of God, what does it produce? Then it produces righteousness in our lives. In 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. You know, we often quote that verse, he's not the author of confusion, but he's, we forget that part, but he's the author of peace in our lives. And so when we're going through, and, and we know this, when there's sin in our lives, when, when there's those things that we haven't dealt with, there's, a great, there's just a great wrestling that happens. There's no peace there. Confusion reigns. Colossians 3.15, And the peace of God, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. And peace is an evidence of, of really a right view of God, a fearing of God. Philippians 4.7, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And us, as we go about and, and we try to understand again, part of it is God grants us peace through that, and part of that is just that production of righteousness in our lives. And fearing God, it brings us peace. It doesn't produce, produce an unease when we're presented with impossibilities, but rather a comfort in what God is doing. Fearing God brings us to a place of acknowledging our need for Him. And what ensues is the peace that only comes from living righteously. And when we fear God, what it is, it's a sufficient view that leads us to the conclusion that we are guilty and we're in need of grace. We're in need for the one that can make peace. All right, Brother Jewel.